0: Welcome to episode 14 of the Inside Nutley Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Greco. And today we are going to talk with comedian, singer, actor, voice, writer, and Nutley High School class of 1977
1: graduate, Rick Corso. Welcome, Rick. Thanks, Tom. I'm glad I can call you Tom. You said with Joe, you were, he was calling you Thomas. I go, that's too long. I'm too, I'm in a hurry. Tom is good.
0: Well, we were kids. I think you used to call me Tommy. That was what Yeah, name. and I was Ricky. Yeah, Ricky. Why? I never, you know, all this time that you've been, you've been famous. I'm like, who's Rick Corso? It's
1: It's Ricky. It's Ricky, Ricky, That's right. Right, right, I was just at an event with a bunch of Nutley people the other day, and my friend Ron introduced me as Ricky. It felt great. to All hear right. it.: Yeah, to take it back, you know.: Yeah. All right, well let's go right back to the start. Where were you born? Born in Newark, uh, 1959. I lived in East Orange for about 18 months, moved to Nutley. I guess it was 61 or 62 when I was 18 months old, and uh, lived there till I was graduated Rutgers in '81. So you grew up on Whitford Avenue, correct? Whitford Avenue between uh, Rutgers Place and Brookfield Avenue, right by Kingsland Park. Yep. Uh, the Coxes were across the street. My mother used to call them Coxes Army because I had eight kids, and it was the greatest place because it was a safe neighborhood. We didn't lock our door. I spent most of my time in Kingsland Park. If my mother needed me, she would just send my sister or somebody down to get me. I was there, you know, you know, burning the brook or whatever the heck we were doing, playing baseball. Yeah, well, it was just great. I, for our our listeners and
0: and and uh, viewers, I lived up the street from you. We 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 probably became friends when we were like eight or nine, I guess. Yeah. Um, and and what comes to mind when you think about the old neighborhood?
1: Uh, just being out all the time, whether we're playing wiffle ball or stick ball on the street. We just we weren't inside looking at video games. I mean, I don't have any kids, so I have nothing to p- compare to, unless I go to other people's houses. But we were just outside all the time. It was a great. It was the middle class dream. I don't know how much that exists around the world nowadays, but I hope not. least still like that. It, it is, it really is to some extent. It's ch- everything
0: changes, but a lot of us tend to stay here. You know what I mean? And I think yes. I that, and and that kind of keeps that
1: old old. Uh, it's a nice mix of old and new. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If not for my work, I would have myself. In fact, you know, my friend Steve Schaefer moved there because you know Schaefer, right? He Comedian. Yeah. 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 He moved to right. He was lit right by Memorial Park. We we'll call it the mud hole. He moved there uh, with his wife because his wife had uh, was friends with Jason Alexander's wife, and they were moving back to New York. And they said, "What's a great place to live?" And she said, "Nutley," and that's why they moved there. Yeah, he stayed here a while too, if I remember. Oh right. yeah, he just they just split up a couple, you know, maybe a year or two ago, and they were there yeah. like uh, at least twenty years. Wow. Yeah. Let me let me
0: drop some uh some names for you and see what, what your reactions are from the old neighborhood, Rockies.
1: So, candy store, yeah. Had, we, used to, yes.
0: go, we used to go there for candy and, and
1: everything, right? Yes, on the corner. And then Soden's was like, like a couple doors in. Yep. All oh, yep. the memories are coming back. Yeah. Kingsland Park. Kingsland Park was the best. I recently was home and we had to go to Kingsland Park just to see it and walk through. You know, it's much, it's smaller now, you know, perspective wise. You know, once I was uh, running, I, I was home working to stand up New York and staying at my mother's house. And I was running through Kingsland Park and I saw Maddie Franks. And he goes, are you here for the reunion? I go, what are you talking about? It was the 15 year reunion of the class of '77. So I went home, showered, and came back, and I actually got to go to it. Ah, but that's great. It's just coincidence, I was in town at the time. It was nice. Did you? Did, do you remember? Did you used to go to recreation at Kingsland Park? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Cacciola ran it, right? Yes, yeah.
0: absolutely, absolutely. Play the uh, what do they call that ball thing where you know you hit, you hit tether the ball,
1: ball, tether ball, tether ball, yeah. yeah. and knock, yeah, yeah, knock yeah yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah
0: oh man yeah, we spent time. a lot of time there yeah good
1: times how about yannicko school yannicko school was great yeah i remember it really well and uh it was great to be able to walk to school and like uh, the crossing guard was there on passaic avenue luigi and, uh, i think his name was <laughs> yeah well it changed There was always you know there's probably the same guy for 10 years but uh <laughs> but we only spent uh what was yannicko six years and kindergarten so, yeah you know, six about uh mr o'rourke remember him o'rourke was the principal. Yeah. Yes. Who was your Mr.? Go okay. ahead. You were going to say Lefredo, weren't you? Yes, I was. <laughs> I remember you got really mad at me once. Me and Leslie Tennis. Rick wants some stand up. Oh, wow. Well, he dropped the Y right away. I was already went to Rick. I guess I grew up that day. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did got into some shenanigans. Everybody's got a Mr. Lefredo
0: story. Yeah. And I remember Miss Strappa was the art teacher. Oh, yeah. Everybody loved Miss Strappa, right? She was, she was she, beautiful and, and lovely yeah. I went to her retirement party, and uh, she looked the same that day as she did when we were in in in, really? uh, in grammar school. She was beautiful. Did woman. you hit on her? Uh, <laughs> she actually <laughs> she married a friend of mine's friend through through business, which you know I we just re met that way and uh, she was just a, a great, great person. What are some of your favorite memories growing up in Nutley?
1: Well, um, wrestling was great. High school wrestling. I love that I had a bunch of friends that uh, lived on the other side of town over on the other side of Center Street uh, up the hill towards Bloomfield and I kind of got together with them we we were the guys that hung out together through high school we called ourselves the Clement Street Bombers we we're like a baseball team. It was Phil Corio, Ron Corio, Steve Palmisano, Jeff Grulick, uh, Jim McManus, who I still see and have a kind of a garage band with when I go to Colorado and visit him, uh, Nick Pugliese, Tom Mantone, and we were, all, we were always kind of were together so. Uh, we used to sometimes leave Nutley, cruise. Uh, what's the name of the street that goes through North Arlington, Linhurst? River Road. R- 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 yeah, we used to cruise there by the cemetery, and then you know, yeah, yeah, check out girls or whatever. When we first got our driver's licenses, those were good memories. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, just everything. There was I, there was nothing about we used to. Uh, we had a pool on Whitford Avenue for a while there, and everybody would just come over, uh, it was just so much fun. Until I ruined the pool by forgetting about the underground spring. I was winterizing the pool, I half drained it, then it started pouring, and the pool came out of the ground oh, and wow. tilted because the pipes held it down on one side. And we we swam with it that way for a few years. And then the next owners of the house kept it, and then I think they finally got rid of it after a while. Uh, Little League. Little League was great. Mr. Orecchio. I mean, I was on Arechio, Mr. Moraldo. Pete Moraldo. Yeah, Pete Moraldo was great. He was a great coach. You know, lessons of life. Because, you know, my father died when I was seven, so... I had a lot of figures that uh, were father figures. There was uh, Mr. Moraldo, and there was Suff, You know, so, uh, my coaches. How about Franklin School? Franklin School was good. It was only two years. I, I heard you talking with uh, with Joe, and now it's called something else. Well, it was it was junior high back then, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's called John Wel- John Walker Middle School. Do you remember Mr. Walker? He was a teacher at, at a Washington school. No, because I went to Annecy. So no, I didn't know. Yeah, he. Uh... Great guy. I mean, he was just—he was at every sporting event for his entire career, and um, he became—he was teacher at Washington, then became the principal at Yanacraw for a long time. Then he became—I think it was the um, the junior superintendent of the town. Just did so much for the town, and passed away. And they decided to name Franklin School after him. So it's—it's it's John okay. School
1: now. Good. How about uh, midget football? Midget football, I did one year. I had to fake, I I think the minimum weight was 90 pounds. And I had to eat a lot to get to 90 pounds. And I wasn't really 90 pounds, but they let me in. And for some reason, Mr. Greco was our coach. What was it? Zinicola, I think, was the team? Zinnicole, you played for my uncle, I remember. Yeah, your uncle. And uh, he... He had me playing uh, offensive guard and defensive guard, and I'm up against because the the maximum height weight was 130. So I'm like 85 pounds lining up against 130 pounds, like percentage wise. I was getting knocked over a lot, but and I also uh, on offense I ran in the plays, so I I got a good workout. Yeah. So one time your uncle told me to run because I I screwed up something at practice, and he and he didn't tell me to stop, so I just care. I was running around, you know, because we had that Kingsland Park. And it was running around, running around. And he, finally, he realized, he goes, oh, sit down. What's the matter? <laughs> I must have ran for a half an hour.
0: Joe told me that story last week. Oh, really? Joe, Joe Scorpelli remembers that story.
1: Oh, I, I guess that's, that's hilarious. How, how funny is that? Corroboration. I, I yeah. <laughs> but what I what did a, he say, 45 minutes or an hour? How, how long he's, 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 he's,
0: a, he, an hour, definitely. He said he did anything. He, <laughs> I, totally, I was
1: going but, on the low side. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So you graduated in
1: 77. You went to Rutgers? Went to Rutgers degree in civil engineering. I did that for a year and a half, almost two years. Really didn't like it because I got my first job was with Bechtel Power working on a nuclear plant. Then I worked on two other nuclear plants and they don't build those in fun places. You know, they don't build them anymore in the States, but because after Three Mile Island, it got very difficult to build the nuclear plant because of NRC regulations. And everything was double checked on it. It took forever. So they, they ended up, you know, bureaucratically putting them out of business. You know, they weren't building any new ones. But I worked on it towards the end there. So there, and I went to uh, Washington State. was the first one I went to. Then I worked at one in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, Zimmer, which ended up, ended up being a coal-fired plant when they finished with it because they couldn't get licensing. And then I worked at Diablo Canyon in California. But in the interim, between those last two engineering jobs, I started doing stand-up and I uh, got bit by the bug, so to speak. So when I took the last engineering job in California, I just stayed there and moved to Los Angeles after that. I got fired, I got fired <laughs> through. And then I said, that's a sign
0: from God, I'm gonna go be a comic. Two questions, first is, uh, what made you get involved with nuclear power
1: plants? Well, that was the job offer I got. I mean, when I was auditioning, when I was, <laughs> what's, the, what's the word for auditioning in the real world? Uh, <laughs> interviewing uh, interviewing Inter- Yeah, <laughs> I was interviewing for jobs <laughs> yeah. um that was they were the ones who wanted to hire me bechtel power they they needed people on the you know, to walk down they call it a walk down to inspect their pipe support systems and uh see what uh needed to be because they they would always stop and start because they'd always get shut down the construction for some reason so they'd have to start over again with a different contractor and you know you review the plans and see what was done and what wasn't done and mark them up and was a lot of climbing around on scaffolding and A lot of learning. I was learning as I was going, but uh, then I went to another job where I became like the head engineer and I had 10 engineers working for me who were way more qualified, but most of them were from India and they had like professional engineers licenses and master's degrees, but their English wasn't that good. So I would go to them for the technical advice and they would go to me to get the point across. And I I liked that job a lot. Um, That was the one in Cincinnati But they were laying off people and I volunteered for layoff because I just didn't want to be. That was the closest to a big city you're going to get working on a nuclear plant. Um, And I was going to I was going to try to transition into commercial construction, like office buildings and stuff like that. And then in the interim, I got another job, uh, nuclear, that was just paid too much to turn down. And I did that in California. And the stand up thing happened at the same time. I remember you being sarcastic, but I don't remember you being like a class clown type. I was not. Well, you know what? I wasn't junior high. I remember doing Elvis in my music class in junior high. And then I put it away. The whole, all four years of high school, I was serious. I was a wrestler. I was angry all the time because I was losing weight. And then in college, I was funny again. What were your initial aspirations for your career? Well, I I wasn't sure. My brother was an architect. So I go, well, engineering, that's kind of close. You know, I don't really feel as creative as him design-wise. And I just thought it would be a good paying job, so I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I grew up without a father, my mother just said, "Yeah, go to college." So uh, I really didn't know. I was kind of floundering, and I took a job that paid well because I thought it would be security. and then I realized that uh, security wasn't everything. you know, if, I, if I'm going to do something I hate, you know, and then just you know, not really enjoy my life, it's not worth it. So I did that, and I moved over to comedy, which, you know, you don't make a living right away. So it was a little struggle, but I, I, uh, when I moved to Los Angeles after about six months of open mics, I got a job at the comedy store and that helped me a lot because I made a lot of connections and, uh, I was there for all the great stuff, you know, Jim Carrey and Sam Kennison and Dice before they made it. And it was great to see all, I mean, Yakov and all those people, Louis Anderson, they were all, uh, Louie Anderson became very good friends with my mom because she came out to visit and I was working the door. So he showed her around. I'm like, you know, I, I'm looking for my mother. Where is she? She comes back an hour later. And then her and Louis wrote to each other for years. You know, wow. until That's she true. died. Yeah, he was a really good guy. I was sorry to see him go. That was kind of the uh, uh, the peak of, of stand up at that time, right? You were right in the oh yeah, yeah, right right at the beginning of the wave. I mean, I I got the job January of '84 was when Mitzi hired me. So that's when, you know, I didn't get great spots at the Comedy Store because I was so new, but there was this tour bus that came by and parked in front. And one day, Howie Mandel runs on the tour bus and he's doing shtick. And a light bulb went over my head I go, I could get stage time on this tour bus, this this tour bus. So I would do it. And then Mitzi kind of got mad. She goes, well, just don't wear the Comedy Store t-shirt because it looks bad for the club. But sometimes I'd be home and not working. And the girl that worked in the cover booth would call me up, Rick, your bus is here. And I'm rushed down and I do a set on the bus it's stage time you know that's great i never remember yeah. that so what i mean you play, must have played rascals right rascals a bunch of times yeah there's a lot of time um so i guess the first time i was there was 1985 through about 92 i never did it when it moved to bloomfield avenue when, when it was on Pleasant valley where i did it yeah. a bunch i opened for dice there once all my friends families wanted to come see me i go maybe you don't want to come this time he's a little bit blue And I looked at Tom Antone's parents were laughing harder than anybody. It was so funny. I thought I was going to listen, you know, be careful. There's a lot of language. They loved him. What was it like returning home in that uh, capacity? It was great because, you know, Los Angeles audiences, the comedy store they're seeing the best of everybody. And you're mixed in with that crowd. Then you get to a three comedian show in a place that's, you know, pretty much your hometown. And you have all that other stuff you could talk about that you have in common with them, you know, the low hanging fruit. And that's, that's, that's so helpful. And I haven't worked in New Jersey. In a long, I did do the Borgata for a while, but I haven't worked in New Jersey in a long time. And I really miss it because all that stuff is there, you know? So you go on the road, you're all over TV and clubs in the eighties and nineties. Was it what you expected? Oh yeah, it was. And you know, the boom was great. I mean, they were putting people like me, I was pretty new at it on TV. And it was great because then you go do a club and you get a little bump in your pay. Cause you plugged the club that week. And I was making more money then if you, you know, inf- adjusted for inflation because it was just so hot. Yeah. Now, uh, now, if you're not someone who puts people in seats, uh, there's no club money. So that's why I work ships mostly because the people are already there. Is it a difficult lifestyle? Very difficult. I'm getting a little bit. I moved to Florida so that I wouldn't have to fly. And for a long time, they kept me on the ships right out of Florida, just, and now it's just an Uber ride. I don't even have to drive there. park. Uh, but now, um, there's new bookers and they've got me flying all over as if I don't even live here, you know, but that's, I mean, you gotta, you know, maybe the people in Florida tired of me, I don't know, but there's also land work in Florida, the retirement homes, they're my age now. So yeah, I used to work for older people. I get intimidated, you know, and it would be hard because what do we now they're my age and some younger and, some older, I'd rather work to people older than me than younger than me now. I've gotten to that point because they know stuff. Yep. You know, it's pretty much the younger crowd. I don't do well unless I get really blue, which I'm going to plug my special. It's on Open Bar Comedy. It's a blue one, just so, uh, openbarcomedy.com. It's called Young for Florida. And it's, uh, it's five, I think it's five bucks. Watch it, I'll pay you back. How did you get the opportunity to perform on Cruise Lines? Well, I was at home, I was actually doing a TV show in New York and another friend of mine was doing the show and we stayed at my mother's house in Nutley. Well, she, where was she living in Nutley at the time? She was living, oh no, she was in Bloomfield. She was at 1300 Broad Street. And uh, we were staying at my mother's, Oh no, no, she was in Nutley. She was in the apartment above her beauty salon on Chestnut Street, that's where we were. And I opened his, his this was before iPhones. His, his, his calendar is open, his, uh, his phone book. And I go, what's this showmaster? He goes, oh, that's my ship agent. You have a ship agent? So I, I called her and my manager at the time called another agent. And they both wanted me at the same time. Because I'd sent them a, they, my manager had sent them both uh, a videotape, the Showtime Comedy Club All-Stars I did in 1990. So uh, it took a while. But by 93, they go, okay. And uh, I started working first on Princess. And then I started working Royal Caribbean after that. Royal Caribbean, it took like three years for them to open the books, you know, and get new people in. In fact, another guy named Joe DiCaprio was working the ships. And my first week, they're all talking about Joe DiCaprio. Yeah, you he, remind me of him. He, he works here all the time, whatever. He, but he kept missing the ship because this guy was booking himself on two different ships for the same week, like Celebrity and Royal. And he'd get off in one port. And this is before 9-11 where security was so so strict. He'd get off in one port and... and I, Anyway, he missed the ship one too many times. So the week I got on with Royal Caribbean, I got a good report and they fired him and they gave me all his dates. DiCaprio, of course, are close enough. And just, it was just luck, you know. Wow. Yeah. And I've been with them for 26, almost 27 years. And how many, do, do, my- you, how many do you do a year? Uh, usually 20 to 30 weeks a year, sometimes more. On the ocean. There was a time. Sorry. On the ocean. On the ocean. Yeah. What's that like? It's a little isolated. You got to make friends. I've been really lucky. I, I have friends that are musicians and they let me sit in with them. I would play the guitar like I would sit in with my Strat on it with a trio that normally doesn't have a guitar player. So I only play when I know it all right, turn the volume down, you know, <laughs> pretend. But, or I would sing with the bands, you know, I'd sing with the orchestras. That would kill a lot of time. Uh, you know, there's also movies I was writing for. There was about a 10 or 12 year period where I was trying to become a screenwriter. So that was perfect because you had all the time in the world. So after about 12 years then, I go, man, maybe I'm not good at this. I'm not selling anything. <laughs> you know, wrote a half a dozen screenplays and nothing. So uh, after a while, I just said, that's enough, you know. Wow, that's, that's I mean, crazy. 20 weeks on a, on a boat. I, I've never been on a boat in my life. <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, my sister goes on vacation all the time. She loves it. She brings kids. And my brother won't go near it. So it's, they're just opposites. So you also sing and play guitar during the act. Who are some of your favorite artists? Uh, i'm a big bob dylan fan and a big sinatra fan those are the two major ones um i like everything but uh those are the big influences i when i do the singing with the orchestra i sing big band you know i do i have the sinatra charts and i just basically do sinatra uh when i play the guitar my act just silly songs i made up you know and kind of like the dylan style yeah how, how do you select which songs to parody um whatever I can think of. I mean, I don't know, I'm trying to do more original ones uh, instead of the parodies. Like I did the, I'm doing a Sweet Caroline thing, it's just so stupid. Uh, Where it began, some say a lab in China, that Dr. Fauci is always wrong. And just stop. you don't do the whole song. You get one joke in and that's it, and you get out. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. That's pretty that's funny. That's what they laugh at. Yeah. You know, you can't be too clever. Yeah. You know? right. I saw a great one the other day, some guy did uh, Hotel California, and he did uh oh, no no he did yesterday yesterday and he said chick-fil-a instead of yesterday <laughs> look that up tim hawkins i think his name
0: uh, that's pretty funny especially on the on the uh well i guess all around but more so on the on the cruise area how
1: did the pandemic affect your career uh was off cruises for a year and a half and uh i have lucky florida wasn't shut down and i have an out like i'm doing this gig tonight that's outside i always worry about the of uh, the weather because it's outside. It's gonna be 87 when I'm on stage. You know what it's like when they're fanning themselves in a different time signature? I can't look, I'm trying to play. It's it's hot and the, people don't, you know, Letterman used to keep his studio like 50 degrees. Cold, they're more likely to laugh. So it's tough, but then if it rains, then you gotta go inside and that's even worse venue because the sight lines are bad. So it's six and one half dozen other. Sometimes I'm outside and I'm playing and it rains, I'm in the middle of the show. I got to move it inside. I'm just worried my fake hair doesn't melt and I turn all full Giuliani on you, you know? But, uh, yeah, it. the ships are great uh, because you you can go to the ship material because that's the one thing they all have in common. And then coronavirus, there's a couple of jokes I would do about, you know, the lockdowns and the virus and stuff like that, that were killer because the only good blessing that came out of that was here's something everybody is on the same page about, they all know about, you know? Because otherwise, you get people from all over the world. How do you find the references and the things they're all going to get? And I just got slapped on the wrist. They said no more coronavirus jokes on the ship. And I, you know, just yeah, two days ago, my agent called and said, you know, I got heard from the office. You know, wow, stop bringing it up. Oh wow. Because I did this one bit: the top uh, ten things that I saw written on people's COVID masks. <laughs> you know, wow, I do have bad breath. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> this mask maybe made me lose twenty pounds. My other mask is a Porsche. You know those stupid jokes like that, but they just don't want me bringing it up. So the other joke I was doing was because when we first went back from the pandemic, they were we they were testing us every day. It was like everything was swapped down, and everybody you know ship was like half capacity. People are wearing masks and they're not wearing them. But they were testing me every day with the swab and the nose. I said my nose was small when this whole thing started. That was the joke. I think, I think that one I could probably still do. I'll just say swab without anything. Just the word swab. People make we'll the connection. Yeah. Because I'm working against Saturday on the ship and I want to, I got to edit a bunch of stuff out because they don't want it. I, I understand. That's a little crazy. I mean, yeah, well, I'll get to that. But the, the line has moved. The, the The sensitivity line keeps moving in that direction. I haven't changed, but the line moved. And I, if you keep taking stuff out of your act, you're going to have nothing left. So I, I push back a little bit. So I'm gonna be on my best behavior these next couple of shows. Probably won't be as funny, but what are you gonna do?
0: Well, that's, that was my next question. I, I said, the question is the way the culture
1: has changed. Do you find it more difficult to write material that doesn't offend people? Absolutely, it, it, it's, I mean, people are, even Jerry Seinfeld, who has gone out of his way never to be offensive, won't work colleges because they're too politically correct. They project what they think they wanna be offended on. That's, for example, I was doing a job. I was doing a college. maybe 25, 30 years ago. And I was doing a bit about the, the room service guy in the hotel. I said he was a college kid with no common sense. And some girl freaked out. I freaked, just freaked out. What do you mean no common sense? Said, Listen, I'm not saying all college kids have no common sense. Just this guy and you. <laughs> Shut up. Just let me finish the joke before you get offended. You know, it's so stupid. They're just ready to jump on it. It's crazy. So do the research
0: on you for the, for this interview. Um, you know, I, I've asked around and of course uh, when I asked my kids who are or like in their twenties and uh, I have a, like I said, I have an intern who's uh, still just in college right now. And I said, Rick Corso, you know, I grew up with him. He's from Nutley. He's a famous comedian and, and they're, you know, like, hmm. and I'm like, um, ever hear of Dino Spumoni, Spumoni. And <laughs> yeah. they're like,
1: well, yeah, absolutely. So tell me how, how did that role, Dino well, Spumoni, how'd that come about? I was, <laughs> I had a manager that said, uh, you need to do something outside of stand-up, you know, to get somebody to pay attention to. So I wrote this show called Rama with a friend of mine, and I played this singer in the show. And the guy was, the, the premise of the show was I was a singer that was, that sounded too much like Sinatra to make it. I lived in the shadow, and I got demoted from a main room act to a lounge act in Vegas, and I hosted some horrible variety shows. So the... Variety acts like the mime with Tourette syndrome and the depressed juggler. They were all part of the show, but I would sing in the show. So my friend Billy Reback brought the casting director to that cartoon in to see me and she just cast me. And if you watch the show at the end of the episodes that I'm on, it says a special thanks to all blue eyes because they know it's an homage to Sinatra. And so so, so I didn't do the first movie because my the, the first uh, Hey Arnold movie because my part got cut out the script they gave me it was like a full page of dialogue supposedly introducing Tony Bennett but talking about myself like a big egomaniac for a minute uh, but I guess they didn't get Tony for the movie so they cut my part out but the second movie I was in Vegas with Steve Schaefer, and he's talking to Dom Irera who was a regular on the show and Dom says who are you with he says I'm with Rick Corso. I goes oh yeah tell him Nickelodeon just just casually tell him Nickelodeon is looking for him so I called Nickelodeon, we, you know, they, they didn't know where I was because I was inactive in SAG. So they looked at the SAG directory and they couldn't, I mean, you could have just Googled me and found me. You know? right. Anyway, long story short, I go out to do it. I meet the director. He was a fan of young Arnold, uh, Hey Arnold when he was young, he was a kid. He's like happy to meet me. I'm like, I had like three lines of the movie thing. But uh, it, was, it was good. I, I just wanted to do it. So uh, then I'm doing a podcast to uh, promote the film and the guy kind of sandbags me. He says, uh, "So it was it like uh, working with Jim Lang?" Now Jim Lang was the guy that wrote all the music, and he was fantastic. So I said, "I said he's brilliant, he's a genius." <laughs> and the guy says, "Well, Jim said you were tone deaf." I said, "Well, yeah, I probably was. I didn't I didn't know how to sing back then. I, I learned how to sing from doing that, you know. And then uh, then I got a message from Jim on Facebook. Hey, I'm really sorry. I'm like, That's okay. You were accurate." And then he watched some of my later stuff. I think there's something on YouTube with me singing. He goes, "Wow, you learned how to sing." I go, "Yeah," and it took a while, but I learned. You definitely
0: did. I watched the clip of you doing "Summer Wind." It was amazing.
1: Oh, I didn't even know that was out there. Yeah, um, I-, I didn't. I had no idea that was out there. Somebody must record. It. But uh, I used you in the Grace, the Grace Church Choir when I was a kid. But I guess there was about a fifteen or twenty-year period where I forgot how to sing. <laughs> so where where the Sinatra influence come from? Oh, that's a a really gut-wrenching story. My, my, my father died when I was seven. My mother and father, you know, Italian-American immigrants, uh, well, they weren't immigrants. Their ancestors were, but Italian-Americans in North Jersey, are, their hero was Sinatra. They love Sinatra. They, I was probably conceived with Frank Sinatra on the radio <laughs> or on the stereo, the hi-fi, as they say. But when my father died, my mother did nothing but listen to Frank and cry for like three years. So I my theory is that people learn how to speak their speaking voice by listening to their parents. Because if I'm around my brother, I'll sound like my brother. I could, you know, I can hear it. So I think when I learned how to sing, the voice in my head was Sinatra's. Wow. That makes sense, sure. Plus, I mean, what what better template is there? I mean, he was the greatest. Did you ever cross paths? Tried to, almost. Um, I had a manager at the time. I was was working in a production show at resorts. Uh, Merv Griffin had a show in 1990 called Starstruck, I did seven weeks there and, and Sinatra was at the Sands. And I, I had also done a, a Showtime special at the Sands in Atlantic City, the Showtime's comedy of So I knew somebody there, but my manager knew George Slaughter, who knew George, Sinatra very well and called Frank's manager and uh, I was uh, gave me my number, gave the number. So I was calling back and forth with him because I my brother and I went to the show because uh, I think it was a it was our dark night. I think we had Monday night off, and that was the night I we went to see Frank, my brother, and and I was the whole time. I think it was before cell phones, before I had one, and uh, you know, going to the pay phone, calling the manager, and calling the guy, and it was like, oh yeah, kid, uh, not tonight. Oh. And then there was another time at the Riviera in Vegas where Joey Villa, who was friends with him, uh, you know, went to see him at the Riviera, and Joey came out afterwards, uh, not tonight, but you know, it came close twice. Wow. Hey, I still, i I'm, I'm I'm sure he was aware of it. No, I have a, well, you know what? Um, George Slaughter apparently showed uh, me on Showtime doing Sinatra to him and he liked it. That's According great. to my manager, yeah. And I have a picture over there, a signed picture from Frank that I got from Tom Dreesen because my girlfriend at the time was a waitress at the Laugh Factory and that was a, a gift she got me for Christmas. That's great. Through, through Tom who opened for, for, for years. So who are your comedy heroes? George Carlin, definitely. Uh, Richard Pryor. Well, I loved Woody Allen stand-up. standup. Um, you know, there's there's people that are still alive that I that I like. I always loved Seinfeld. Leno, Gary Shandling was tremendous. Yeah, and a, and a really great guy. Loved Louis Anderson. There were so many. I loved Gilbert. How about your comedy mentors? Mentors: Dennis Miller, also a big fan of his. He was very helpful to me. Uh, Louie was very helpful to me. I mean, these guys helped me get uh, get booked, uh, guided me through it. You know. I'm gonna throw out some names and and, and
0: things that you and give, give me some uh, what your perspective or some okay. first, first thoughts. Uh, Adam
1: Sandler, love him, great, wonderful great. guy too. Takes care of his friends. Although because- <laughs> when I was married, my ex-wife and I lived across the street from Adam and Judd were roommates. And you would think knowing a guy that well that he put us put me in his movies, but uh, I must be the worst actor in the world. Now he's got a group of tight friends that from the NYU that he takes care of. And he's just a, just a great guy, and I, I met some people on a ship that knew him like from growing up, like from I guess Rhode Island or wherever he grew up, and they they were angry that he was so successful. He wasn't funny, but just relax. Obviously, a lot of people think he is. Yeah, it's so uh, funny how people react like that. Uh,
0: actually, he could use you because I don't think he has the Italian in, in his in his crew, right? Yeah, maybe he doesn't. That's
1: a good point. I remember one time when they were casting The Godfather Three. I was with Adam at the Improv. This must have been, like the movie came out in 1990, so it must have been 89 or 88. And Adam was angry that he couldn't get in to read. He goes, I look like James Conn's kid. Come on. And he kind of does. So when I worked at the comedy store, Robin Williams wouldn't go on early in the evening. He would come in at one o'clock when the whole show was over to work to a tired audience because then he would know if the stuff was funny. Because they would, he was Robin Williams. He was famous. They left at anything he said. Plus he was quick. So he wanted to make sure that he gave the stuff a good test. Rodney. When Rodney would have new jokes, he'd read them. Because if he did them as Rodney, he knew he could get a Just leftist- doing this. And you know? I'm okay, right? <laughs> so Another hero, by the way, who fired me. But I still love him. Tell that story. Uh, I was in Las Vegas at his club. He had a club at the Trop, which I ended up working after that for many years when it was the Comedy Stop and then the Laugh Factory. But Rodney, I was there. And Rodney came in the Tuesday night with Bob Schimmel. And I was on it. Oh, no, the first night, Monday night. And I had just come from a corporate gig and I had my clothes in the back of my car on a rack and they all fell down. The only thing that I had that wasn't wrinkled was a tuck. So I put it on. It was Vegas, but that's not what Rodney wanted. He wanted the new young guys. I just happened to be wearing it. And Rodney came in and he had all these edgy guys on a special that was airing that Friday. So he wanted to have edgier guys. I, I, I was working clean, you know, which is ironic because now I'm not, but not all the time. But yeah, he... He didn't like it. He, he, he I, what he said to me? He was, yeah, if I heard his daughter, I'd want him out of here. Something, something like. He's, but anyway, the, the guy that booked it, Tony Camacho, called me and said, "Rick, I'm sorry. You um, know, Rodney wants different guys." And that, it was it, it broke my heart. He was my hero. Yeah, but I got over it. Yeah. How about uh, Don Rickles? I would. I met Rickles briefly once. I loved Rickles. Uh, I went to a party at the Friars Club, to, the one in Los Angeles, to put up his picture. It was a uh, it was a dinner. It was a you know uh, like 100 something dollars a plate but my friend his date canceled on him so i just went with him so uh and i saw red Button, who i'd work with on this on a ship and he'd give me his, his phone number on a napkin because he i hung out with him he's great wait the ship wasn't the Poseidon, was it <laughs> no 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 that was it was in that movie but, <laughs> yeah. but the ship was the dawn princess the inaugural cruise, and i hung out with him every night he was the greatest so when i saw him at the fires club at the rickles event, I go, Red, and, he, and he, he's old school. He didn't remember me, but he pretended he did because he's old school. God, good to see you, kid, how are you, kid? You know? great. so then Rickles comes by and my friend wants to get a picture with Rickles. So he, he goes, so he gives me the camera, and he goes, Mr. Rickles, we had a picture. And and, and Don just puts his arm, and I goes, hurry up. And that was it. <laughs> Snap the picture. How about Eddie Murphy? Great, I one time I was working a club in Hackensack, and I the club owner said to me, Listen, I ran into, because he lives in Alpine, Eddie, right? Up north. Uh, Eddie, I saw Eddie at a traffic light and I heard that he was working out for a new special. So I got out of my car, I knocked on the window and the window came down. I said, Eddie, I got a club down the street, come in and work out You want if you want to come. So uh, they tell me Eddie might come in. I'm on stage, it's raining outside. I see a bunch of big bouncers with umbrellas. I go, he must be here. So somebody gives me a note, and says do 10 more minutes and bring up Eddie. So I bring up Eddie. And I go to shake his hand, some little guy pushes me. I get like a bouncer, pushes me out of the way. Like, like I'm going to, it's a guy on stage. I don't have a gun, you know? So anyway, Eddie goes on stage and he says, uh, what was the name of the brother that was up here before? And somebody yells out my name. He goes, it's a funny. Mo-. He called me a funny. It was on my resume for like five years. <laughs> That's a, what more could you ask, right? And well, the, the only thing I, I, that blew up was all my friends from Nutley came to the second show. So they missed Eddie. Oh, man. Yeah. And I go, no, you, no, he was really here. I just really missed him. <laughs> I used to get that note when I worked at Dangerfields also because when Rodney walked into the room at Dangerfields, nobody's paying attention to you. They see Rodney, you know, so they finally give you like a a napkin, bring up Rodney. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Hey, the guy whose pictures on the club is here. Please And they go nuts, of course. (laughs) And and the one time um, I was at the comedy store and that happened, you know, Robin was going to go on. I was emceeing. Uh, I brought up Robin and I heard applause louder than anything that I ever heard from when I was on stage and he hadn't done anything yet (laughs) just saying his name I go wow that's where you want to be yeah who's the nicest person you met in the business oh that's a tough one there's so been so many people Johnny Dark um Johnny Dark Louis Anderson uh Adam Sandler uh Jeff Cesario there's been so many how about the worst how about the worst person you met if you want to say there's, there's so many of them, too. That They're all tied for the worst. There's a lot of them. Mostly bookers and club owners and people that just don't get it. Because the people that are on the creative side of it, they they understand what you're going through. So they're generally nicer. Florida, California, and New Jersey. Let me let me break them down for you. The, the girls in the three different places. In New Jersey, girls that, uh, oh, don't take my picture. Don't take my picture. I don't know what that is. In Florida, go ahead, take my picture. Fine. California, uh, wait, let's adjust the lighting first. Makeup, come in. You know. <laughs> it's just levels of vanity, I guess. Um, California, I don't know. It was great when I was there. I wish I was there earlier when I was a little younger because I think I kind of missed it because I went into re- audition for Saturday Night Live and Living Color at the wrong time. Like SNL, I was, I was already older than Spade and Sam and all the guys that got it, you know. And in Living Color, I wasn't really a good enough actor. They wanted Jim Carrey anyway. They were just bringing guys to keep his price down, basically. <laughs> so sure. uh, I, I I love all three places. Um, I miss the seasons in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to get back uh, this fall if I can. Yeah. Did you ever audition for The Sopranos? No, but towards the end. I did do uh, the live show, Comedy You Can't Refuse, at the Hilton. The, my friend John Manfrilotti was good friends with Chirippa because he helped acting coach Steve before he got the part. Okay. Um, and Sharipa was producing the show called Comedy You Can't Refuse. It was him and Michael Imperioli they were the hosts. And me and John and Nick DiPaolo were the comics because Nick used to write stuff for Steve as well. They were good friends. And John, the guy that played Johnny Sack, uh, uh, Vince Curitolo, he sang. And Artie Bucco, John Vettemilla, he sang. And they did some sketches. And Alan Bronson was there they played it was it was great i did like 15 minutes up front the audience was amazing because they're all fans of the sopranos it was you know the house that i would at the 1500 seat main theater at the at the hilton and when you pay 65 bucks to get in and this was in 2005 they're gonna laugh at everything I say. but i opened with the reason they picked me to be on the show is because i'm from nutley new jersey you know where furios house was and that was in that was my opener
0: all right, I'm gonna uh, show you some pictures. So I want you to tell me what, what comes to mind.
1: I'll put the glasses on for that. All right. That's uh, that is my high school yearbook picture. Yes, it is. Wow. <laughs> so Mario Bob, yeah, Mario Peluso, Bob Sibilia, who who showed up at a comedy store one night when I was there. That was great. really, yeah, 1984, I think it was. Oh, uh, that's the yeah. Look at me, I have the tan in November. <laughs> That's Mark D'Antonio, Tom Callahan, me, Mike De Palma. Who's next to De Palma? John Teresi. John Teresi, Louis Brooks, Steve Yavorski, Mike Dugan. uh, Who is that? Bell, Robert Bell, uh, Marty Kilroy. Is that right? Anthony Liberto, uh, Alex Cicignano, and Artie Scavone. There you go. You guys had a a hell of a team, right? We did. We were 14. No. No, I think we might have been. I know I was 14 and one with a broken arm. That's what I always tell my friend. But because I broke my arm in the Christmas tournament, but I finished the season anyway. That's definitely senior year because they changed the uniforms from gray to maroon senior year. All I know is in the yearbook, in the the wrestling part, you're in like every other picture. You know, I know. Well, (laughs) maybe somebody on the yearbook committee liked me. You know that guy is? Oh, let me guess. That's a younger picture of of, Joe Scarpelli. That's our mayor. <laughs> that's amazing. What, what year was that? Was that in high school or before? No,
0: that's yeah. I tell I think it's your freshman year. He was, again, he was a member of the student uh, council. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, look at that hair. Does he have that much hair now? Uh, he's still got a full head of hair. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, give Joe my best and everybody back there. And I hope two, to see him all soon. Two more for you and we'll go. Okay. Ready? How's Nutley influenced your act or your career? Um, that's a good question. I, I was thinking about that actually. Because I wanted, because the show is inside Nutley, and I'm not inside Nutley. (laughs) But my point is, Nutley is inside me. You know what I mean? That because you think about Richard Pryor, you think of his crazy upbringing. Uh, That's why his comedy is so edgy. For me, I could I could be a little bit less edgy, a little more friendly, more of a happy guy on stage. Because I did have a good childhood. I mean, other than my father passing away, uh, Nutley was such a great place to grow up. I mean, I, I was gonna say, you probably intuitively knew to have me on because I was gonna do nothing but rave about Nutley. I got a Nutley story for you. This is interesting. If you don't mind on that. No, absolutely, go ahead. Just, this is how cool people from Nutley are. I was going to a ship in Alaska last summer through Denver. My flight in Denver gets canceled. So I go down to the baggage place to make sure my flights, my whether to get the bags or they're gonna go straight through to Anchorage, right? So while I'm waiting there, I'm talking to a girl in line she's in the same thing but she's going to wyoming and uh say where are you from she says new jersey where in new jersey she says nutley i go you got to be kidding right (laughs) so long story short my friend jim lives in denver i'm going to stay at his house that night waiting for the flight in the morning i say you want to ride to your hotel because they were going to pay for a hotel airline but i stay with jim and she goes okay so her boyfriend calls while She's in the car. She goes, oh, uh, some, some guys from Nutley, give me a ride. He, he's like really freaked out. She goes, no, 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 it's okay. They're from Nutley. <laughs> and that's that's the point. Yep. You know, you could, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it all the time, but there was something about being from Nutley that you could trust. Yeah, absolutely. What do you miss most about the town? That. Um, really that. Uh, all, all the people that I knew growing up, uh, walking through the park, from one end of town to the other, you know, because that was my walk to school every day. That was just great. I used to run through the park and then a bunch of other places. Um, the change of seasons, because both of the last two places I've lived have been warm weather climates. Um, I don't like the cold winter. I can't take it anymore. I mean, because I moved to California. That got too cold for me. I moved to Florida. I'm going to be at the equator soon. It's, it's, <laughs> the blood thins out. Um, yeah, I missed I, a lot. I mean, the food. You know, you, you think of and Napoli and restaurants. I mean, that's Clifton, but but the food in the Nutley restaurants, the the food from the shop, right? It's just the Jersey tomatoes. You don't have them. You don't have five great pizzerias here. You have like two.
0: And it's you know, I'm in a
1: city, you know? Yeah. We can find your show schedule at. There's a flyer for a specific show on land. I'll just repost that on Facebook right before the event. I don't think people tend to make plans that far in advance so they'll be out when there's dates on the books ships i don't post because the ground's already there you know i have friends that post their ship calendar like somebody's going to take a cruise just to go see you (laughs) get over yourself promote the special because i need to get a certain number of views before they start paying me so okay um, it's called uh two it's called young for florida it's on openbarcomedy.com rick corso thank you for spending time with inside nutley Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to have nothing inside me.
0: <laughs> it's great to see you again after all these years, and uh, yeah. best best of luck to you in the future. And maybe we'll you see too. you again. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Rick.